Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Also have the Bible reading for us now. We are... Part three in a um, our series talking about heart-shaped generosity. What does it mean to have God's heart when it comes to generosity? This week comes from uh, one Timothy. Just I'm just flicking the pages as well. One Timothy chapter six. Verses 17, and it's on the screen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be here and look at this passage as we continue in a series called Heart-Shaped Generosity. Uh, I'm Ben, who Ross was talking about before. Uh, I'll need to talk to you today about Alpha if you're thinking of coming along to that. Please catch me after the service. Uh, if I'm not around, usually I'm outside at the playground with my daughter. That's, that's uh, often where I'm hanging out, uh, at the kids' table with their food. I'm not eating their food. Hey, let's pray and then um, we'll get into this. Let's pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to gather together this morning. Um, Lord, we know that as we, as we gather, uh, the reality is for many of us, it's, uh, it's been chaos. Our weeks have, been, um, have gone quickly, uh, have slipped between our fingers. Uh, for some of us, we are exhausted and tired and run down and empty. And yet, Lord, what a privilege we have to be here. And so we pray, Father, that as we gather, as we sit together this morning, that you would fill us up, um, that you would give us, Lord, what we need. For those of us who need comforting, Father, may this word be a comfort to our souls. And for those who need challenging, may you challenge us. May you meet us, Lord, as we open your word together. And, And we pray this for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The desire for more money is a dangerous thing. I think we know that, right? If we look around, uh, we know that there was a story this week about this. A guy in UK, uh, in the UK, uh, he stole a ute, he took an angle grinder to a factory, stole thousands of dollars worth of product, and now he faces 18 months of prison. We see this stuff all the time. If you don't think that's uh, such a newsworthy story, well, here it is. Uh, he actually stole thousands of dollars worth of Cadbury cream eggs. Uh, In fact, it was 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs is what he stole. And when you see this story, you've got to ask the question, why is anyone doing this? Now, even if you're a chocolate lover among us, this is not for the chocolate, okay? I mean, if we pretend, you know, what, chocolate's got about a 12-month use-by date. 
If he's going to eat all this in 12 months, it's 580 cream eggs a day, which for mine is about 580 cream eggs too many because they're not that good. This is not for the chocolate. This guy is stealing this for the money, right? He's doing all this for the money, and now uh, the whole ute, angle grinder, factory, 18 months in prison, now that's what he faces. Now, we see this all the time, don't we? We see people doing crazy, weird, dangerous things for money all the time. And if we look around, we, we see this, whether it's corruption in politics, uh, whether it's billionaires buying social media companies and changing uh, bird logos to X logos, as Elon did with t Twitter, whether it's Mr. Beast on YouTube who drives big trains into big holes just for the money, uh, whatever it is, we see this all the time. The desire for more money causes people to do strange and dangerous sometimes things. And so what we want to do as we gather in the middle of a series called Heart-Shaped Generosity is we just want to think about this for a moment. We want to ask the question today, if that is the case, how do we have a healthy relationship with money? That's what we want to think about this morning. I mean, if if the desire for money can cause you to steal 200,000 cream eggs, how do we make sure in a world where there is money that, that we can have a healthy, a good relationship with money that leads to life and not 18 months worth of prison? Uh, that's what we want to think about today. And we're going to do that as we open up God's Word in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles there, uh, have them open. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Uh, but we're going to dig into this passage and we're actually going to see uh, four things today. Four things about us and the relationship with money. So, so let's dig into it because the first one we see see is in chapter 6 verse 17. The first thing we, we need to see is we've got to see the challenge that money brings. So let's have a look at verse 17. It says this, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So how do we have a healthy relationship with money? Well, it begins by seeing the challenge that money brings. And the challenge is essentially this. Money is a good gift, but a terrible God. Now, we'll dig into that in a moment. The context here does matter. Uh, Paul is writing 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to uh, a guy called Timothy, a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And uh, this church is full of real people. It's a real time and place in history with real people just like us. There's men and women uh, in this church. There's Jews and Gentiles in this church. And of course, there's, there's rich and poor. And here he's speaking to the rich. You get that verse 17, command those who are rich. But it's worth just thinking about this for a moment where we fit in the story. Okay, because I know that the temptation is to go, oh, cool. This is for those other people, the rich. This isn't for me. That's the temptation. However, uh, we got to recognize something this morning. we got to recognize that the fact that we live in Australia automatically makes us rich. Okay, Even if we don't feel that, and I know right, the, the struggles, the realities that we're facing at the moment, but the fact that we live in Australia means we're rich, not just globally, but historically. I mean, on a global scale, have a look at this, uh, this graph on the screen there. 53% of the world's population earn yearly less than $10,000. Now that's US dollars, uh, so about 14,000 Australian dollars. And so what that means is, you know, nearly the base Centrelink line will put you in still the top 50% of the population in the world. Um, the, the fact that we live in Australia automatically makes us rich. And, and it's not just um, globally, it's also historically. 
you know, I remember uh, my nan when she was still alive would often, uh, she, she was a little bit of a hoarder and uh, part of that was because she had experiences growing up where she didn't have anything. I mean, you, you think about like eras like the Great Depression and, and that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's not just globally right now that we're rich, it's historically as well. 2023 means that we're rich. And so, so we got to recognize that. Um, even if we're not feeling rich today, we are the people he's speaking to here. We're the people he's speaking to here. So, so that means we've got to listen up. We've got to hear what he's about to say, especially if the desire for money causes people to do weird and dangerous things. We've got to listen up and he's speaking to the rich. He's speaking to us. And what, what's he going to say? Well, the, the first point is this. We've got to see the challenge of wealth. And, and the challenge is this. It's a good gift, but a terrible God. And that, and that is a challenge. It's a real challenge. In fact, uh, we're essentially living on a knife edge here where if we're not careful, we're going to be cut because of this reality, because of this tension. It's a good gift and a terrible God. So it is a good gift. We know that, don't we? Like, you don't need me to convince you that money's a good gift. No one needs that. Um, you just go to Garden City. Every single shop will tell you that you can buy all sorts of good things with money. We know that money is a good gift. And the truth is, God did not make the world in black and white. You, like, we know that, right? Is it, like, it, it fascinates me. Like, the world's not black and white. All smells are not the same. All, uh, all locations are not the same. There are experiences we can have that do different things in our heart, and it's good. I love good food. We all love good food, good holidays, all that sort of stuff. And money does allow us to experience that. Money is a good gift. We all know that. Yeah, we know that truth. However, the, the reason it's a challenge is because it's a good gift and it's a terrible God. Now, let's think about that. What, what does it mean that money is a terrible God? What does that mean? You, you know, because I, I know, right, if you're talking to your friends and, and people in your life, if you ask them, what do you believe in? No one's saying money. No one says, I believe in money as my God. However, it is possible to treat something as a God and not call it a God. And so I think the word that sort of captures this is the word savior. If you think of what a savior does, a savior saves you, rescues you. A savior is one you put your hope in and the one you think is going to bring you joy and satisfaction and, and, and the one that's going to deliver you. And, and we can treat money as our savior. I mean, people can treat money as if it's going to fix all their problems and going to bring them joy and peace. You know, if we just have a little bit more money, we'll be satisfied and secure and things will be all right if we just have a little bit more. We can treat money as if it's going to bring us real lasting joy. And so in this way, if we do that, we're making money a God. And, and Paul's saying here, money is a terrible God. You know, that, that's what he's getting at here where he says, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of wealth. Now, why is it a terrible God? Well, it's because it's uncertain. And if something is uncertain, that means you can't depend on it. You can't rely on it. Eventually, it's going to lead to despair. Now, I think, we, again, we all know this, don't we? Like, we know that money is uncertain. Uh, we know the reality that we live in a world where you can have a lot and then the next day it's gone. We, we live in this reality. I think this is illustrated, actually, at its, at it, at its extreme with NFTs. Now, if you don't know what an NFT is, it stands for non-fungible token. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, no one does. Um, that's the truth with an NFT. But an NFT, you can buy an NFT, which is essentially a JPEG, a picture of something on the internet. 
That's right, people used to pay for this stuff. In 2021, uh, here's an NFT. I'm going to put it on the, the screen here. This is the first tweet, okay? And it was sold as an NFT. You can breathe. I didn't pay for that. I just took a screenshot of that, which... I'll sell that screenshot to you if you want. Um, we can do that after the service. But in 2021, when NFTs were at its peak, someone paid $2.9 million for this. $2.9 million for this picture they paid in 2021. You know, I reckon lockdown was getting into our head or something like that. People spent too much time online. Two years later, we started getting outside again. And do you know how much this is worth? $4. You can buy a coffee after the service and still have leftover, a leftover dollar. You, you'll have more than this picture. It, it's, it's crazy. And, and in hindsight, it's a bad investment and all that sort of stuff. But I think this actually illustrates wealth completely. Uh, wealth is uncertain. Now, maybe not as volatile as, say, NFTs, but the truth is wealth is uncertain. You can have a lot, and then the next day it can all be gone. And, and I think we actually know this. Even if we're good managers with our money, we know this truth, and we've seen this truth. Um, you know, you think about it. You can have a good job, and it can be gone overnight. Your investments can halve in your sleep without you doing anything with that. Your bank can increase your interest rates 12 times in 12 months. Your rent, your landlord can go up. It can double. Your, you'll get in the same house for double the money. Uh, your car can break down, and you've got to pay lots of money for that. Your hot water system can, can break. The shifts at your work can stop and dry up, or you can lose your job. We see this stuff all the time. We know that money is uncertain. We know that wealth is uncertain. This is the air that we breathe, that there is an uncertainty, that wealth that is just around us. And since it's uncertain, what Paul says is, don't put your hope in it. Don't give your heart to it because it's uncertain. It's going to let you down. If you think that this is going to bring your joy, you joy. If you think that this is going to be your savior, it will let you down. Now, of course, in our current climate, we need to hear this. We need to feel the weight of this because right now there is an uncertainty of wealth in the air that we breathe. You know, uh, NAB Economics said this week that 43% of Australians are feeling financial hardship. That's up from 29% last year. So four out of 10 of us are feeling the, the uncertainty of wealth. And if you put your hope in wealth, it does lead to despair. And we've also got research about this. Um, there was a, a paper that came out that did some research of the 2008 recession in America. And what they saw was during the recession, excessive drinking rose because of the, uh, the recession. Putting your hope in wealth does lead to despair. Another paper, 2001 to 2010, looked at financial hardship. And what it saw is, is, is within those homes, abuse rose as well. The uncertainty of wealth, if you put your hope in it, it does lead to despair. And, and, and that's real-time evidence of what God said. Don't put your hope in wealth. Now, you see the challenge. Because the challenge is we live on this knife edge where it is a good gift, but a terrible God. So it's not one or the other. It's almost like if it was one or the other, it'd be easier. Because if you knew that it was just a good gift, that's great. If you knew that it was a terrible God, then you could just avoid it. But it's both of those things. And we live in a world where both of those things are constant. We live on this knife edge. We have to see the challenge. 
Now, how do we live on this knife edge? That's the question, right? How do we live on this knife edge? Well, Paul says, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of wealth, but rather put it in God who gives everything for our enjoyment. Here's the answer to how we live within this challenge. We give our heart to God. And, and it's, it's pretty awesome because when you see the uncertainty of wealth and all those things with wealth, you know, the, that it brings anxiety, it leads to despair, all that stuff. When you contrast that with what Jesus brings, here's the beauty of Jesus once again. Because where wealth is uncertain, Jesus is certain. Where wealth is insecure, Jesus is secure. Where wealth doesn't truly bring joy or lasting peace, Jesus brings joy and lasting peace. And where wealth is bad because you can't put your hope in it, of course, Jesus is that. Jesus shows us, when we look to Jesus, we see how beautiful he is when we contrast it to wealth. Now, of course, we see this most clearly at the cross. I mean, we looked at this last week, where Jesus, although he was rich, he became poor so that by his poverty you could become rich. The the cross is that moment in history where we know we can put our hope in God. And and the truth is, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and that's gone. You know, the the riches that we have in Christ are not going to be halved in our sleep. This is bankable, what God has done for us in Jesus. And so this is how we live on this knife edge. We put our hope in God. We give God our heart, and then we enjoy the gift. We remember that there is a giver behind the gift. But as we begin and think about our relationship with money, we've got to see this challenge. You know, in a world where money exists, we have to recognize that there is this challenge. We live on the knife edge. It's a good gift, but a terrible God. Now, as we keep reading, what we see is it starts with seeing the challenge, but then what we need to see is the danger. So we see the challenge, and then we've got to know the danger. So let's have a look. Let's keep reading and see this. And we sort of get this from verse 18, but we'll go back a little bit as well. But he says this in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we see the challenge. We're living on this knife edge. But then where Paul goes next is we've got to know the danger. Now, I know these verses are positive, and we're going to get there. We'll get to this stuff uh, about the positive nature of verse 18 and 19. But there's a question here that we've got to ask, which is this. If giving our money away helps us for eternal life, which is, is what he's essentially saying, then, then what happens if I hold on to my money? Like, what happens if I don't do the stuff that he's saying? You know, if I hold on to it or keep it for myself, what's the danger if I don't do what he's saying? Well, well, this is where we've got to go back a little bit, okay? Because this is written in a, a letter, and in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, this is not the first time he's spoken about money. So let's go back into, uh, in your Bibles to chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, what we see in verse 6, 7, and 8 is he's speaking about contentment. And I love that picture of contentment. I mean, you could think about that for a long time. Contentment is great gain. But what we're going to do is zoom into verse 9. And as we read this, notice the repeated language and the seriousness of the language and uh, the weight of what he's saying here. Verse, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What's the danger that we face with money? What's the danger if we fall the wrong side of the knife? There's some big words there. Temptation, trap, 
foolish and harmful desires plunge ru- into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul wants us to know the danger of, of the desire for more money. And, and it's pretty real words there, right? This is, this is weighty. This is not something we can take lightly. And I, and I think that actually one of the words that captures this is the word trap. Because he says that. It, the desire for more money is a trap. Now, trap implies something. It implies that someone is setting it. Doesn't it? Like, that's what a trap is. It implies that someone's setting it. So, who is using the desire for more money as a trap? Well, Paul, in his letters, uses this elsewhere to describe Satan setting a trap. And so what we see here is that Satan is setting a trap. He's using the desire for more money as a trap to plunge us into destruction. Now, this is kind of interesting, I think, when you think about it, because Satan is described in the Bible as the deceiver, the liar. He's crafty. And Satan wants us to give up on God. But Satan's not going to do that by saying to you, hey, Jesus offers you eternal life and riches forever, so give up on that and take hell. That's not how Satan works. He's crafty. He's a deceiver. What Satan's going to do is he's going to say, give up on God for a little more, for the desire for more stuff, more money. Satan is going to entice us. He's going to use this as a trap. Now, I, I think we know this, how, this is how traps work. And it is a bit random, but a friend of mine recently has gotten into uh, trapping uh, Indian minor birds. So if you know your birds in the area, there's noisy miners, natives, and then there's Indian miners. They're like the miners with a hood on it is the way that we describe them in our house. And they're an introduced species, and the council's official position is kill them. And so he got this trap from the council... You can't kill noisy miners, but you can kill Indian miners. The trap from the council you get is basically this, uh, this cage, and then it leads to a box. And, and what you do is, on the ground, you put seed out, or food out, or whatever, and the bird starts eating the seed, and it goes deeper and deeper into the cage until eventually it gets into this box, and then when he's in the box, you release the gas, and the bird goes to sleep. It's pretty brutal. But real question, obvious question, how do you get the bird into the box? It's not by holding the box up to the trees and saying, hey, birds, fly in here and we'll kill you. You entice them in with something that they will like. Now, what God is saying here is that Satan uses the desire for more money as the thing that's going to entice us deeper and deeper and deeper in. Right? Satan is not going to get you to give up on eternal life for hell. He's not going to give, uh, get you to give up on God for Satan. Instead, what he's going to do is entice you with a little more because as you take a little more and a little more and a little more, a little more blessing, a little more prosperity, a little bit more money, a little bit more bottom line, then you eventually get to this point where you're stuck. Now again, we know this when we look around. You know, we actually see this all the time. I mean, you think of the guy in the UK. It, didn't, it wasn't an accident that he just happened to find himself breaking into Cadbury. You know, that led from a little more. Now he's in prison, literally. 
We see this all around. I mean, one of the examples I think most clearly that you see this lately is uh, with some other news stories with um, Andrew Tate. Now, if you don't know this story, Andrew Tate is currently in Romania under house arrest for human trafficking. And there's a lot of stuff online about this where you're just kind of like not really sure what to think about this. There's lots of different voices about this. But in the last few weeks, there was some damning evidence of his own testimony to what he's doing. Okay, now there is a content warning if you do stumble across this, all that sort of stuff. It is pretty horrific stuff. But Andrew Tate said himself that essentially what he was doing, and this is over the years on podcasts and stuff like that, essentially what he was doing was manipulating, abusing, and trapping women for his own personal gain. And the bottom line was money. Now, it is enough to make you sick. But it shows you the truth of God's word. The desire for more money is a root of all kinds of evil. You just look around. You see this all the time. We know this. We know that this is what happens around us. But of course, we've got to recognize Satan's not just interested in those around us. He's interested in us. You see, Satan would love for you to be rich beyond your means and give up on God. Satan would love you to have a job where you can do whatever you want in your life, but be far away from his people. And, and often the temptation comes not just through breaking the law. Often it comes through more subtle things, you know, like getting a job where you've got to hustle so much that you have no margin in your life for the people God has put around you. You know, sometimes it happens through working such a stressful job that it means you can't, you can't do the things that God has called you to do. You, you can't serve. You can't grow. You can't give yourself to God's people. Sometimes it, it, it means working jobs where the shifts mean that you, you just can't be with God's people when you want to be with God's people. Now, I, I know that there are seasons, right? I, I know that there are seasons in our life where often out of necessity we have to do things. And necessity is not the problem. What's the problem is the desire for more. Sometimes we arrive at a position not out of necessity, but just because we wanted a little bit more. And decisions we made got us to the point where we, we needed to get a little bit more. And we, we just have to see the danger here. The desire for more money is not neutral. Satan is going to use that as the thing to entice us to go deeper and deeper and deeper until we find ourselves trapped with no way out. And, and as we consider our relationship with money and the world we live in, we have to see the danger. We've got to see the challenge. We live on a knife edge. Good gift, terrible God. We've got to know the danger that Satan's going to use this as a trap against us. And so, so what do we do about this? Well, let's keep reading because what we do about this, Paul also says. And this is where we get to our third point, which is safeguarding our hearts. If all this stuff is true, then we want to protect ourselves from it. And that's where we get back to verse 18. Because this is why uh, verse 18 starts to hit us a bit more. It says this, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
So, so here now you sort of get the weightiness of what he's saying in verse 18 and 19 on the back of what we just saw earlier in 1 Timothy. Now we understand why we would do the things that he's calling us to do, the commands that he's giving here. It's to safeguard our hearts. And how do we safeguard our heart? Well, let's have a look at verse 18 specifically there. The two things are we give our time and we give our treasures. And essentially what he's saying here is be rich in good deeds and good with your riches. And when you do this, you safeguard your hearts. So let's start with the first one being rich in good deeds. The way to safeguard our hearts first and foremost to protect us from the dangers of where we live is to be rich in good deeds. And I, I love this truth because what he's touching on is time. And the truth is we all have the same amount of time. You know, there's no one among us this morning that has 30 hours in their day. There's none of us who have 10 hours in our day. Sometimes we'll say, I'm time poor and I know what you're saying in that moment, but the truth is you, we all have the same amount of time as each other. And so here, before he's speaking about, you know, riches or poor or whatever, you know, you can have a little or a lot, you still have the same amount of time. And what he says here is be rich in good deeds. Speaking about our actions here. And as we're rich in good deeds, what this does is it safeguards our heart for the future. Now, I, I just think this is such a deep encouragement for us because at times we can feel weary from doing good deeds. You know, whether it's serving God at church or serving God in our families or serving God in our workplaces, so often we can be tired of doing the good thing. But, but what this is saying, it's a deep encouragement to us that no good action is in vain. Nothing that we do for God is in vain. It's actually doing something to our hearts. It's a way to safeguard our hearts. So, so let this be an encouragement. You know, if you're weary or tired from serving or, or loving your family, the, the exhaustion sometimes, you know, Ben prayed before, if you've had a long night, you know, some of us here have had long nights. If you're exhausted, if you're tired from loving the people around you, if there's colleagues that are, are hard, if there's, there's people around you at your school that's difficult, being rich in good deeds, does something in your heart it safeguards you for the life to come it's a deep encouragement here to, to keep doing good stuff but of, but of course the focus is not just on being rich in good deeds it's being good with our riches you know he says there command them to be generous and willing to share Ross said in that first week, generosity is giving with a smile. There's something about that, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. We saw last week, it, it, it good giving comes from our heart, not reluctantly, but out of a joy. And, and as we do this, it safeguards our heart. Now, something we got to see, like, let's tie these pieces together. If we see the challenge, you know, so if we recognize we live on a knife edge, that, that it's a good gift, but a terrible God. If we know the danger that Satan's using this as a trap, do you know what Paul's saying here? Do you want to safeguard your heart against the dangers of money? If we're wondering, how do we live in this world where money's all around us? Do you know what he's saying? Give it away. Because when we give our money away, we're safeguarding our heart. Now, how does giving our money away safeguard our hearts? Well, well one way is, that, is this. When we give, we're actually saying something to our hearts. Do you notice that? Like when we give, we're saying something to our hearts. And what are we saying? Well, we're saying the message, money is a gift and not my God. And I don't need to hold on to it because holding on to it's not going to bring me joy. When we give, we're saying, I'm not going to be enticed by the trap that Satan put out for me. I'm going to trust in the living God. When we give, we're saying to ourselves, my money is not my own. 
It's God's money. Every time we make that action of giving, it's saying something to our heart. Now, uh, this is kind of fascinating because heart-shaped generosity, we want to give from our hearts, but do you notice what happens when we give? It also does something to our hearts. It's not just a one-way thing. It comes back into our hearts. And sometimes when we give, it's safeguarding. Well, not sometimes. Every time we give, we're safeguarding our heart so that we can take hold of the life that's truly life. So we see the challenge, we know the danger, we safeguard our heart. One more thing we see in this passage, which is from these verses as well, is we give so that we can grow. Did did you notice um, this in verse 19? So when he speaks about doing good and being generous and willing to share, he says in verse 19, In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they'll take hold of the life that's truly life. Lay up treasure? Firm foundation, take hold of the life that's truly life. This is kind of fascinating, right? Like the concept that the action of giving helps you run the race so that you can see Jesus face to face. That's growth. That's what we're doing. We're we're growing in our likeness of Jesus so that we'll see Jesus face to face. So the action of giving then actually enables us and helps us grow. Now, I think this is quite transformative when we consider this, because I know what happens when it comes to giving. We so often think about, okay, so where do we give? How do we give? Why do we give? We think about the the details of giving. I get it. I'm with you. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I think what this does is it changes the question. And I think the question becomes this. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to grow in your dependence on Jesus? Do you want to grow in your reliance on Him? Do you want to grow in such a way that you can take hold of the life that's truly life? Or what about like this? What about, are you feeling stagnant in your faith? Are you feeling apathetic to God's kingdom and to what He's doing here in this world? One answer to those questions is give. When we give, we grow. When we give, we grow. We are setting up for ourselves a firm foundation so that we can take hold of the life that's truly life. It changes our outlook on giving. It helps put our heart at the center, which is what we got to do. It's got to be heart-shaped generosity. We think about our hearts and not our bank account. And when we think about our hearts, it changes things. So how do we have a healthy relationship with money? We see the challenge, we know the danger, we safeguard our hearts and we give to grow. Now as we finish up this morning, just thought we'd take this moment to just think practically for a little bit. I know we've touched on this throughout this series. This is only a four-week series and I've only got one week. So I just thought we'd think about this practically and I'd share some things that people have shared with me over the years to help this. Um, Because you get the reason, right, from from God's Word. You get the the heart motivation, but sometimes we just got to think about it practically to to let the rubber hit the road. So let's think about this four. I I got four things as well, just quickly, that people have said to me over the years to help me think about the details of of giving okay so the first question is who do you give to you know if we've talked about giving safeguards your heart and all that stuff who do we give to our conviction in our home is we give to our church and the reason for that is um god calls us to commands us to but this is my church 
And my family, and what that means is it's, it's my building and my budget. And so we give to our church. That's our conviction. Uh, someone once said to me, lots of people give lots of money to charities, but only the local church will give to the local church. I think there's something to that. You know, no one else is going to help us out. This is our budget, and, and, and that's our conviction. However, I just want to say this. Um, if you're sitting there and you think, wow, this is a really elaborate way to get our money. You know, the pastor's on stage again asking for our money, and look at all this stuff that he's doing. If you're sitting there thinking that, give your money somewhere else. Because do you, do you feel the weight of this passage? Like here at Southside, we care about the heart. And if you're sitting there and you're going to go home and not give because of me, give somewhere else. Because when we give, we grow, we safeguard our hearts. Our hearts are too important to not give. But for us, our conviction is we give to our church. The second thing is how often do we give? That's, that's the second question. That's a practical one. For us, our conviction is when we get, we give. You see, the, the temptation that lies with money does not just happen, you know, at the end of the financial year or the beginning of the financial year. For us, the temptations come every time we get money. You know, every single payday, I just think, how much more money would we have if we didn't give? The temptation, I feel that on my heart. And so the conviction that we have is when we get, we give. Um, now, I, I know the danger of... Um, I know the danger of like, sometimes we just forget, right? Like I've been there so many times and, you know, I don't know. I wonder if this is now the third week in the series and you, you've been meaning to do something about it, but we're three weeks in now. That stuff happens all the time. And I've, I've been there as well. But the consistency here is important for our hearts. You know, like this, the, the dangers that we face come every time we get money. It's not, it's not just one-offs. It's, it's every time for us that we get paid. Consistency is good for our hearts. Now, consistency is good for the church budget as well. I should just say that, right? Like, I mean, if you think about your home budget, what, how would you do your budget if you didn't know when uh, your pay cycle was coming in? You know, like it would be nearly impossible if you didn't know or you didn't know how much. Of course, consistency is important for our church, but it's just as important for our hearts. And so that's why our conviction is when we get, we give. Uh, third, how much? Uh, you know, so, so often you can just talk in hypotheticals, right? And so sometimes it is worth thinking about, okay, so what about, like, wh how much do we give? Um, last week there was a verse that said, uh, we give according to what we have, not what we don't have. And so that's why I think it's important not to think how much do you give compared to someone else, but how much do you give compared to what you get? And so for us, percentage has been helpful over the years to think about that. Uh, for us, a starting point has been 10%. Uh, the reason for that is in the Old Testament, you get this sort of 10% principle. That's not commanded in the New Testament, uh, but, but it's there in the Old Testament. For the Jewish people, they would often give up to 25% when you include everything else. And so we've just found it helpful to start at 10%. But it's complex. And we just want to say that, like, if you're feeling like, man, this is just a burden too big, I find a deep encouragement from the widow at the temple who gave literally 10 cents, and Jesus looked at her and said, here is generosity. You know, this is about integrity, this is about our hearts, this is about thinking about our own stories and what we give and, and acting on our convictions. And, and for us, that's where we've begun with our convictions. In, in the New Testament, though, so I said 10% is not commanded. What's commanded is generosity, as we saw in this passage. 
And so it's worth just thinking about that. Is, is what we give generous? You know, not just a number, but is it generous? So for us over the years, I think we've given more, or no, I know we've given more than 10%. I don't know looking back if it was generous. But there have been other times where we've given 10% that I think actually was generous. So, so it's actually worth just recognizing there, not just landing on a number, but thinking generosity as well. Now, one more thing here. If you think, man, 10% is too far to start, I think where a good place to start is just trying to start somewhere. You know, pick a number and start somewhere. If that's 5%, that's an awesome place to start. And, and we all got to start somewhere. And, and that's the encouragement. You know, based on what we've seen, on the hard convictions, pick somewhere, pick a number, start somewhere, and try and act consistently for the sake of your heart. That's the third thing to talk about that. Final thing is just start somewhere. That for us over the years has been a good thing. If we're ever unsure, we always find ourselves better just, just doing the giving. Um, sometimes you get questions, sometimes you're unsure. Uh, starting somewhere is super helpful. And sometimes you, you begin to see God at work in your life as you do this, in your heart as you do this. And I, uh, the deep encouragement is just start somewhere. Um, based on what we've seen from the Bible, based on what's going on in our heart when we give, the nature of what's, what's going on around us, the challenges that we face, the dangers, based on what happens when we give for the sake of our heart, just starting somewhere is a good place to start. Now, now as we see this, there's four things. You know, I, I have found it so helpful over the years to just ask the people around me who I trust how they do this. You know, so whether it's after the service, ask them, you know, is there anything you found over the years that, that's helped you think through giving? If you're in a growth group, it's a great question to ask because sometimes people around us, you know, sometimes money's one of those things that we don't like talking about. But when we just ask that question, people are sitting on great stuff that, they, that they've got. Ask the question. It, it's a super helpful thing to do. But, but we do this. We do giving. We think about giving. The reason we're in a heart-shaped generosity series in the climate that we're in is because of the nature of living in a world where money is all around us. We've got to feel the weight of this, and we've got to see what giving does to our heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, we know that when we think about who Jesus is, um, what Jesus has done for us, we know that we have a solid hope in Jesus. We praise you for that verse, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that we could have, through his poverty, riches. God, we thank you that spiritually we are rich, that we have everything that we need in Christ. Father, we pray that as we live in a world where money is all around us, as we navigate this, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to act and to give and to think about our money with our hearts in our minds. We pray that you would help us to think not just uh, as we give, we want a heart that's joyful, but also just recognizing that when we give to, it helps us grow. It safeguards our hearts. Give us grace, Lord, as we live in a world where this is all around us. Help us navigate this, and we pray that you would help us for our good and your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.